Welcome back to the Med School Tutors Podcast, your resource for high-yield tips and proven guidance to help reduce stress and give you tangible tools for success from pre-med through residency and the boards. This episode is our first edition of our pediatric masterclass series entitled Peds in 10 with Dr. Eli Fryman, a board-certified pediatrician and current pediatric emergency medicine fellow. In these Peds in 10 episodes, we'll go over a high-yield approach to pediatric diagnosis all in about 10 minutes. This episode is going to discuss pediatric respiratory distress. Let's get started. In general, acute pediatric respiratory disease can be broken up into two large categories, non-infectious and infectious causes. Within each category, it's helpful to break it further down anatomically, thinking about supraglottic, subglottic, and parenchymal disease. Let's look at each of these in turn. We'll start with the non-infectious causes of respiratory distress in pediatric patients. The most classic non-infectious and supraglottic cause of respiratory distress in children is angioedema. The most important and don't-miss cause of angioedema is anaphylaxis. We'll also talk about laryngomalacia, which can cause intermittent glottic obstruction, and always be on the lookout for children who might have an acute upper airway obstruction due to a foreign body. Anaphylaxis is defined as a life-threatening multi-system syndrome caused by generalized mast cell activation. It is a type 1 IgE hypersensitivity reaction and typically involves four systems. The skin mucosa, which presents as hives and angioedema, the respiratory system, which presents as shortness of breath and wheeze, the GI system, which presents as abdominal pain, vomiting, and or diarrhea, and the cardiovascular system, which can present as syncope, hypotension, or shock. The diagnosis is clinical based on the above criteria and can be slightly different depending on whether the patient has a known allergen or known exposure. Treatment is with early intramuscular epinephrine as time to epinephrine has been shown to be associated with decreased morbidity and mortality. Antihistamines can be used as an adjunct. Steroids are controversial. Laryngomalacia is defined as collapse of the supraglottic structures during inspiration, and it is the most common congenital anomaly of the larynx. It typically presents in infancy. It's caused due to poorly developed cartilage, neuromuscular disease leading to hypotonia or redundant soft tissue in these young patients. Patients with laryngomalacia tend to present with inspiratory strider, and if the laryngomalacia is severe, they might also present with poor growth and failure to thrive. Diagnosis is primarily clinical. Our ear, nose, and throat colleagues will often do a laryngoscopy to confirm. If the laryngomalacia is minor, treatment is conservative. If it is more severe, then calorie supplementation is often required to promote growth, and ear, nose, and throat referral for possible surgery is also warranted. When we think about non-infectious subglottic causes of respiratory distress in children, we generally think of foreign bodies or internal and external tracheal compression. The trachea can be compressed by things such as vascular rings or tumors. However, since these are relatively rare causes of respiratory distress, we won't discuss them here further. We will take some time to talk about foreign bodies. A foreign body obstruction is defined as a partial or fully occluding foreign body anywhere from the supraglottic space to the large airways. Epidemiologically, these tend to occur in young children ranging from three months to preschool age, and they are typically caused by classically round or smooth objects, such as grapes, hard candies, peanuts, small toy pieces, cut-up hot dogs, etc., These patients present with choking, respiratory distress, and cough. If they have a complete upper airway obstruction, they might be completely silent. If the foreign body is in the lower airway, these patients can present with wheeze, cough, and hemoptysis. 
Chest x-ray can aid in the diagnosis to look for radio-opaque foreign bodies or to look for signs of air trapping on decubitus films. If imaging is inconclusive, patients often require nasopharyngoscopy or bronchoscopy to identify and remove objects. Treatment is ABCs. Try not to irritate the child as this can dislodge the object and turn a partial obstruction into a full obstruction. And these patients often require the operating room for removal. Our group of non-infectious parenchymal causes of respiratory distress includes one of the most classic pediatric diagnoses, asthma. There are a couple less common ones here too. Never forget acute pulmonary edema in your patients with heart disease. Asthma is defined as a chronic inflammatory lower airway disease with smooth muscle hypertrophy and mucus overproduction that leads to at least partially reversible lower airway obstruction. Epidemiologically, this is the most common chronic disease of childhood. Most patients present before five years of age. The causes are debated with an ongoing nature versus nurture discussion. There are many known risk factors, which we won't get into further here. These patients present with respiratory distress, such as tachypnea, increased work of breathing, and wheeze. Chronically, these patients have a chronic cough that is worse at night. In the acute setting, diagnosis is clinical, although these patients often go for spirometry to make a formal diagnosis via the pulmonary function testing with our pulmonary colleagues. Treatment in the acute setting centers around inhaled bronchodilators, such as short-acting beta agonists and oral glucocorticoids. When patients are not sick, they should be on a controller medicine, such as inhaled corticosteroids, once or twice a day. All patients should have a good asthma action plan that has been written and confirmed with their pediatrician. A second non-infectious parenchymal cause of respiratory distress is pneumothorax. A pneumothorax is a collection of air that is located within the thoracic cage between the visceral and parietal pleura. If the pneumothorax is classified as spontaneous, that means it occurred in the absence of trauma. Epidemiologically, these tend to occur in teenagers anywhere from 16 to 24 years old, more common in males than females. The causes are primarily spontaneous without underlying disease. If the pneumothorax is classified as secondary spontaneous, that means that the patient has an underlying disease such as cystic fibrosis. However, no trauma occurred. Signs and symptoms include sudden onset dyspnea and pleuritic chest pain. Patients will sometimes present hypoxemic. If the patient has a tension pneumothorax, you can start to see cardiovascular compromise, such as severe tachycardia, hypotension, and shock. Diagnosis is via imaging, such as chest x-ray. Depending on the signs of the pneumothorax, treatment is either supportive with supplemental oxygen or a thoracostomy tube if the pneumothorax is large. If the pneumothorax is quite large or recurrent, then a VATS or pleurodesis is often undertaken by surgery. That about does it for our key non-infectious causes of acute respiratory distress. Now let's talk about the important infectious causes of respiratory distress. Similar to before, we should discuss supraglottic, subglottic, and parenchymal causes. Our key infectious supraglottic pathologies are retropharyngeal abscess and epiglottitis. Retropharyngeal abscess is a separative deep neck space infection of the prevertebral soft tissue, typically presents in toddlers to preschool-aged children, and is caused by group A strep, followed by staph, followed by respiratory anaerobes. These patients present with fever, neck stiffness, pain with neck extension, and dysphagia. It is important when these patients present to rule out other causes of respiratory distress and sore throat, such as epiglottitis, croup, tracheitis, paratonsillar abscess, meningitis, foreign bodies, or angioedema. The diagnosis is based on plain films of the neck showing widening of the prevertebral space. CT of the neck is preferred if cross-sectional imaging is required. Treatment is based on ABCs if there is respiratory compromise, 
and then a discussion with your ear, nose, and throat colleagues about whether the patient requires IV antibiotics or surgical drainage. Epiglottitis is a bacterial infection of the epiglottis and surrounding structures. It generally occurs in toddlers to school-aged children, especially those who are under or unimmunized. Haemophilus influenza type B was the most classic cause, thankfully now reduced to vaccination. Epiglottitis can now be caused by other species of H. flu, such as non-typable H. flu, group A strep, strep pneumo, and staph can also rarely be a cause. These patients look really sick when they present. They have acute progressive upper airway obstruction. They have high fever, drooling, and tripoding. They might have strider depending on the degree of obstruction. The diagnosis is clinical. If labs are obtained, there will be a significant leukocytosis, and plain films of the lateral neck will show the classic thumbprint sign. Patients with epiglottitis require immediate management, including securing a definitive airway. In these cases, anesthesia is often called to nasotracheal intubate these friends. Do try to avoid irritating the child at all to prevent progression of their upper airway obstruction, and antibiotic therapy is with cephalosporins. Next are our infectious subglottic causes of respiratory distress, which can present similarly as each other and are both really important pediatric pathologies, croup and bacterial tracheitis. Croup is inflammation and edema of the subglottic region, the larynx, the trachea, and the bronchi. You will sometimes hear this referred to as laryngotracheobronchitis. Croup presents in young children six months up to about four years of age and tends to present in the fall and winter. Croup is caused by viruses, classically the para-influenza virus. Patients present with a URI prodrome, followed by a barky cough and inspiratory strider. Croup tends to be worse at night. The diagnosis is clinical. If plain films are obtained, you will often see a steeple sign on your AP neck film. Treatment is with systemic corticosteroids and aerosolized epinephrine if the patient has significant strider. Bacterial tracheitis is a bacterial infection of the trachea. It's common in children with anatomical abnormalities, such as trachs in situ, recent instrumentation, or congenital anomalies of the airway. It's classically caused by staph aureus, strep, H. flu, and moraxella can also be causes. These patients present very sick. They look like they have croup, but have higher fevers, more significant strider, more significant respiratory distress, and are often coughing up purulent material. The diagnosis is clinical, although trach aspirates can often identify the causative organisms, and bronchoscopy is often done to confirm and clean out the airways. These patients require admission to the hospital, broad antibiotics, and significant respiratory support. Next come the all-important infectious parenchymal causes of pediatric acute respiratory distress, which include two more key pediatric diagnoses, bronchiolitis and pneumonia. I'll also make note of a thankfully rare but can't misdiagnosis in pertussis. Bronchiolitis is the widespread inflammation of the small bronchioles with mucus plugging. It's the most common lower respiratory infection in children under the ages of two years. It tends to present in the cooler months from November to April and is worse in children with chronic comorbidities and preemies. It can be caused by many viruses, although the most classic of which is the respiratory syncytial virus or RSV. These patients present with URI symptoms that progress to tachypnea, retractions, and washing machine breath sounds. They can also have hypoxemia and apnea in the youngest babies if severe. The diagnosis is completely clinical. Labs and chest x-ray are not recommended. Treatment is supportive care, including fluids, oxygen, and observation is needed. Pneumonia is infection and inflammation of the parenchymal lung spaces. Epidemiologically, risk factors are more important than age factors, such as smoke exposure, crowded living conditions such as shelters, multiple siblings, and prior episodes of pneumonia. 
Causes are both viral and bacterial. Viruses are actually the more common cause of pneumonia in pediatric populations and can be caused by influenza, adenovirus, parainfluenza virus, human metanumovirus, and RSV. Bacterial causes are dominated by strep pneumo. Older groups can get walking pneumonia from atypical, such as mycoplasma and chlamydia pneumoniae. These patients present with fever, tachypnea, and hypoxemia. That's the clinical triad. Diagnosis is suggested by their clinical exam. Formally, it is diagnosed with imaging. You will see an infiltrate on x-ray. On your boards, there will be a lobar infiltrate in bacterial pneumonia and an interstitial infiltrate with viral pneumonia. This is not always true in clinical practice. If mycoplasma is considered, then you can send serologies or PCR based on local lab availability. Treatment includes oxygen, antibiotics, if presumed to be bacterial, and excellent supportive care. Pertussis is a respiratory infection caused by the Bordadella pertussis bacterium. Epidemiologically, adolescents and adults with waning immunity tend to infect underimmunized or unimmunized children and babies. Infants younger than six months are the most at risk for severe disease. Patients with pertussis classically go through three stages of the disease. The first is the catarrhal state, which is the one to two week URI prodrome, followed by the paroxysmal state, which is the one to six weeks of the paroxysmal cough with that classic whoop. Note that the youngest children often do not present with the classic whoop because they do not have the respiratory musculature in order to create the necessary force. Youngest babies can also present with apnea and cyanosis. And the final stage is the convalescent stage, which can last weeks to months as patients heal and the coughing becomes less severe over time. Diagnosis is based on PCR for bordadella pertussis. If you were to get a CBC, the board question that you'll encounter is that these patients tend to present with a lymphocytosis rather than a neutrophilic predominance. Young patients with pertussis are typically hospitalized and treated with macrolines for antibiotics. All known contacts should be isolated, contract tracing should occur, and close contacts should also be treated empirically with antibiotics to prevent disease and then further spread. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening to our Pediatric Masterclass episode on pediatric acute respiratory distress, and we'll see you next time. We hope this was helpful and that it helped take some of the guesswork out of the equation for you. If you have any questions or would like one-on-one tutoring, get in touch with us via our website via email at hq at medschooltutors.com or give us a call if you're old school like that at 212-327-0098. Also, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, share, and review us on your podcast app. If you want more helpful free information, visit our blog at medschooltutors.com, check us out on social media at medschooltutors, or visit our forum at usmletutors.com. Thanks for listening. Be well.